Our good friends at Johnny O welcome you to this episode. And if you've listened to Rich Take on Sports, then you know two things are important. Sharing the impact of sports in people's lives and the Johnny O clothing brand, blending those East Coast classic styles with a SoCal vibe. I've been wearing Johnny O for several years, and now you can as well with 20% off your first order by using the promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com. Live your best life with the Johnny O style and use promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richard Weaver. This is episode 157. Thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. We move so fast in life that many times we don't even allow ourselves to focus on the here and now. It's always about what's next or what's the next thing. But for Roy Philpott, truly understanding the message of Bloom Where You're Planted has helped guide him not only in his career, but in his life. With no true thoughts of having a career in sports, he would start a Clemson sports-centric website and would make his way to local radio as a sports talk host before understanding his true passion of play-by-play. And now you can find him on ESPN as a play-by-play broadcaster calling college football, basketball, and even baseball games. Our conversation with Roy Philpott. Roy, thank you so much, man. I greatly appreciate you finally getting in the hot seat. Yeah, and it's it's warm podcast. I know, right? It's hey, warm already, and it's already it's going to get a lot warmer, right? Oh, uh, that, that's good. <laughs> that's good. I got no beef with that. I appreciate the invitation and uh, and happy to do it, Richard. No, I've been following you for a long time and enjoyed a lot of the work that you've done. And obviously, when you were on the Gramlick and MacLean podcast, which I helped produce, just hearing you talk about your story and some of the things that your journey has been, I was like, all right, it, it's about time. I've got to reach out to Roy and we were able to meet and and coordinate all of this. And we've got a lot of things in common. So, all right, let, let's go down the list. All right, we, I'm ready. We both went to Clemson. Yep. Right. We love the Tigers. Yeah. Right. We love sports. Uh, we both can grow incredible beards. <laughs> well, maybe not. I haven't not. seen your beard, but yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> no, that's where it ends, okay. right there, because I can't, and I'm you so can't. jealous. Okay. I'm so jealous. I like the beard look. It's a little different, I think, you know, for most announcers. Um, you know, you try to keep it trim and do all those kinds of things, but it's, you know, you try to, to try to do something that, that's a little different than everybody else. You want something a little, change it up a little bit. The beard looks perfect. On you. All right, I'll take that. And yes, and that's I'm gonna why I use my agent. <laughs> I, I'm your hype man right now <laughs> Thank you. because I am so jealous. I mean, you look like you could be a country star right now, just up on stage with the hat, <laughs> with the wow. beard. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, hey, I, I got called a lot worse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but obviously, we do have those type of things in common uh, that I just mentioned. But also, we have something else 
that might be uniquely in common, and that's our pathways into this multimedia, sports media, however you want to define it, has not been a traditional. I mean, obviously, you know, with me being in med device sales after my coaching career, 50 years old and transitioning to, you know, something very different, but you were somewhat in a similar boat. Now, just earlier in your career after graduating Clemson and into the corporate world, what was the moment though that you're like, all right, I've got this engineering degree. I absolutely hate it, what (laughs) I'm doing. I mean, I've heard your story, but I want to know, I mean, was there just one day you woke up and said, enough's enough? Yeah. I, I mean, my my track to get into media was was totally just off the wall, which is basically like my entire life. Um, you know, I graduated from Clemson, like you said, computer engineering with a minor in mathematical sciences. I, I had thoughts that maybe I was going to get an MBA at some point. I started working for IBM and then kind of bounced around a little bit. And I landed at PricewaterhouseCoopers working in Dallas, Texas. And I was a long way from home, and I, I was a little bit of a fish out of water for, for a couple of years. And I remember we were working uh, during tax season uh, back in maybe 02, 03, somewhere along then. And I, I was working like 100-hour weeks, and, and we were trying to do these tax returns. And we kind of managed the software for PricewaterhouseCoopers that it was proprietary. And, and so we had all these clients, and, and I was just working with in, in a mountain of paper all the time. And I remember watching the Super Bowl that year and, and just feeling so out of touch with just life and because I was all I was doing was working in, in a strange city where I had some good friends and good relationships, but it just it didn't feel right. And I remember I just kind of on, on a whim, I looked up a domain name for a Clemson website because I was like, yeah, I, I'm passionate about sports. I'm passionate about Clemson. You know, if this domain name is available, you know, maybe I'll just dip my toe in the water and see what that's like. And it was like, sure enough, it was, it was cutigers.com. That's kind of how I all got started uh, living in Dallas, working in Dallas and starting that website. That was my, my jump into media. But I mean, honestly, like I I think I was depressed at the time. I was depressed with my, with my work life and and just the direction it was going. I wasn't passionate about it and I wasn't motivated to really attack it the way that I should have been. And uh, so I jumped in, you know, part time with CU Tigers, and, and it took a long time before people started to read that and care about it. But that's how I got started. So, yeah, it, it, I was passionate about it. I didn't know I was going to be as passionate as I was. But once I started and people started caring about it, I was like, this is this is kind of what, you know, I, I should be doing as opposed to what I had. Been doing. Yeah. So you mean it didn't happen where you launched CUTigers.com and there's a million hits? <laughs> No, not at all. It takes a long time, right? It, it did take a long time. I mean, it was a couple of months when it, when I first started and nobody looked at it. And, you know, maybe after four or five months, it started gaining a little bit of traction. A friend of mine found it and he was like, yeah, this is kind of cool. Uh, shout out to uh, Brandon Cummins, who was like one of the first guys that, that ever logged the OG, on. Right? And registered. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, and, and, and a bunch of people kind of followed him. So it started from there. But yeah, I mean. Nobody really cared about that site for probably two years. I mean, it didn't gain any kind of traction or significant traffic. Yeah, it took a while. What was your first post? I mean, what did you? What was the first thing you put up? Do I you mean, remember, I, like I, I had articles from a friend of mine that I went to college with, uh, from Scott Reimer, who you know kind of bounced into it and, and and just reached out to me. I'm like, yeah, you know, won't won't you write like an article every other week or something? And he did, and like I, I would write things, and I mean, not knowing what I was doing, not really being able to string together consecutive sentences that made sense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I haven't thought about that in forever, but it, yeah, it started then. And 
nobody cared about it at least probably for two years. So it took some time. I can imagine. And that's part of the grind. Those early days where it's sometimes you feel like you're in a hamster wheel, (laughs) right? You're, you're continuing to, you know, put the effort into it and create content, but you know, are you, and I, I don't mean it in a negative way, but are there people actually taking notice? Uh, yeah. And it takes time. Hey, man, I call games now, and I'm wondering, like, or, you know, sometimes I forget that people are watching. But back then, yeah, I mean, I, I could look at the numbers and, you know, 100 website hits in two days. I remember celebrating that at one point in time. <laughs> but, you know, in reality, that's nothing. So, yeah, I mean, it was baby steps, and you, know, you celebrate the small wins along the way for sure. What did you mean when you said that your life has been what somewhat of an unconventional yeah pathway. i mean you know it, it generally takes me some time to figure things out like i went to clemson thinking that i wanted to be a programmer and then a project manager and that that's not really what i was cut out to do i, I shouldn't have done that why did you think that then i mean because i grew up and i, I like computers and i was kind of decent with them and you know kind of tinkered with them growing up and so i mean it, that was it but that that really wasn't that was never my calling and it, it took me a long time to figure that out. And, you know, when I'm talking to, to classes around the country, sometimes journalism classes, I'll tell them, hey, you, you don't have to know how your life is going to pan out when you graduate college. And a lot of a lot of students think that, well, I'm graduating this, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to get married at this age. No, that's really not how it works. And, and you, you're the perfect example. I am as well. You know, I, I didn't really start CU Tigers until I was jumping the media until I was maybe 26. And I didn't start working for ESPN until almost 10 years later. So, hey, it's okay if you don't have things figured out. You're not really supposed to, especially in this this crazy world that we live in. When did you fall in love with sports, though? Oh, from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, from the beginning. I, I grew up in Columbia. Uh, we would go to the South Carolina games growing up, and then some days we'd go to South Carolina and Clemson games the same day. You know, sometimes. Oh, wow. Yeah, because Carolina a lot of times would play at night. Clemson would play the early games. And so you could do that. I think there's a lot of people in the state that did that at times. So. I remember just walking into both of those stadiums at an early age, and I'm like, yeah, this this is different. And, you know, I would be the only person, you know, from our tailgate or from my family that would go into the stadium an hour early because I just wanted to soak in, you know, the pageantry and the atmosphere um, at, at Clemson and South Carolina. So, I, you know, I, I fell in love with that right away, and that, w- that was always something that, that really kind of got my blood boiling. Did you have an allegiance back then? Um, yeah, I mean, most people probably don't know it, but growing up in Columbia, I think probably the first games that, that I went to when I was, you know, seven or eight were, were South Carolina games. And, um, you know, there, there's pictures of me somewhere, you know, wearing a, a Gamecock shirt, which most people probably can't believe. Uh, <laughs> we need and, to find those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they're, they're not out there. They're not easy to find. Um, the first time I went to Clemson, though, I was like, yeah, this is it. This was it. And, um, you know, I, I still, you know, I went to both both schools and watched games even when I was, you know, became more of a Clemson guy, so to speak. But, um, uh, you know, probably when I was seven or eight, I went to Clemson. like, yeah, this, this, this feels right. I mean, right away. And I think Clemson is that kind of place. Dabo would tell you that. People that go to school there would tell you that. You would know that. Oh, yes. That, you know, you, you kind of go there, and it's either you or it's not. And um, I think it's, it's for a lot of people now, a lot more than perhaps when you and I went to school. But when I went there, I was like, this is it. I love this Oh, it was instant for me as well. Yeah. Although now I couldn't get in. That's no, I don't think I could either. <laughs> Academically. I, I don't think I could either. No. No. No, there, there is no question about it. And that's why I, it's just interesting now, as you talked about just how life and you figure things out. And, you know, I, now I'm in a position of 
two sons at Clemson. Wow. And just how life comes full circle, you know, and it's just great seeing them. Now, granted, it has been a little bit different, their experience initially this, this past year and a half, you know, as far as how they can experience a college life. Yeah. And I am disappointed from that perspective for them, you know, that they're not truly getting what Clemson has to offer, you know, from a student perspective. That wouldn't be cool. I totally, I totally get that. Because there's, I mean, there, there is that, I don't know what it is, but there's some type of gravitational pull. Yeah. And I know people are like, oh gosh, I don't want to hear about this, you know, bias you have towards Clemson, but it's real. There, There's something there. Yeah. And I know other schools can have that as well. So I'm not saying that Clemson is the only one, but it latched onto me pretty hard. Yeah. No, it, it is there with other schools. And I, I wouldn't say that to downplay what it is at Clemson, but having traveled to a lot of places around the nation in, in the last you know, six or seven years, the, the, the alumni have a similar vibe to them when they talk about, you know, their schools and you see it in the pageantry. And I, I, I've grown to appreciate the bigger picture there, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not biased towards Clemson. I wouldn't say as a, as an announcer, but I certainly recognize what it meant to me. And it means a lot. How can you balance that then the bias of being fan but also i mean you, you got a job yeah. it's your job where you can't show that type of bias yeah i it, it, it's pretty easy just, I, I like getting paid i like my paycheck <laughs> I, I like keeping the power bill you know g- good to go so it's not an issue at, at all and i mean even when i started full-time at espn i mean one of the first games i did uh basketball wise may have been a clemson south carolina game and and there's it just it doesn't exist when you're in that environment and do you have somewhat tunnel vision, so to speak? Yeah, yeah. I mean, compartmentalization, yeah. tunnel vision. Um, you know, one of my favorite people on the planet to talk to right now is Frank Martin at South Carolina. I mean, I, I texted him as soon as I found out he had COVID the first time when he got out of surgery. I mean, there, there, you won't find a better human being on the planet. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of coaches at South Carolina. I, I, I feel that way about, um, you know, same, same thing at Clemson. So uh, it was a totally different story. I mean, I literally turned – you know, turned the page and, and started a new chapter in my in my book, working for ESPN. There, there, the, the bias or whatever that was there before, um, it just it's just not there. It doesn't exist. Now, how did you celebrate Clemson winning a national championship <laughs> in 2016? Yeah, I mean that was that was pretty spectacular. We, uh, <laughs> we, we went down there for the game. Um, we, we we had a great time. I, I went as a fan. I uh, had seats in the lower level there at Raymond James Stadium. and it, it Could was, you enjoy it as a fan? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because at that point, we had went to the game previous year out in Phoenix. Yeah. And uh, I was still doing daily radio at the time. And we did radio from out there. And it, it was magnificent to do it. And it just felt like there was unfinished business. So to go back and then to see them, you know, win it that second time, you know, my alma mater, uh, growing up as a fan and not remembering 1981, having no concept of really what college football was in 81, it was quite fulfilling. It was nice. It was an emotional experience yeah. for a lot of people. I think so. And obviously, if you were there yeah. live, it had to be. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I, I remember the next day we, we were doing the show, and uh, I was reading what Ben Boulware had posted on Twitter the day after they lost Alabama out in Phoenix, and and then reading what he wrote the day after you know the, their national championship win. And I remember just just reading it on air verbatim and, and getting emotional about it. And I was like, you know, I, hopefully that comes across as good radio because it was authentic. It was real. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, at that point, you know, yeah, this, this means a little bit a little bit more 
when your school does and the oh, school you growing up exactly does it, right? and that's the just the uniqueness of sports and i think a lot obviously with college football and you talked about that pageantry what, what do you remember most about the pageantry that you know sucked you into not only football but sports yeah i mean it, it can be something as simple as the bands and the entrances you know especially in this state you're running down the hill or 2001 i they i mean that it I think if you're a fan of either side, to a certain extent, it gets you cranked up just because you know what's at stake, uh, you know, when, when, especially when those two teams get together. Um, you know, the, the Florida State, uh, when they have the war chant going and they come out there and, and the, the spear goes into the ground, you know, I, I've seen it all kinds of places. I Just that, like the pregame and the buildup, uh, I, I love that. And, you know, I can remember this past year, one of the few times we actually went on the road, we were in Starkville. And it was the week after Mississippi State had upset LSU in uh, in Baton Rouge, and and they were on top of the world, and they were nationally ranked. And it was Mike Leach's first you know, home game there in, in Starkville, Mississippi. And there weren't a lot of fans that were allowed, but the fans that were there all had cowbells. And I remember it was the first time I had traveled since March, and we're on site there doing their game against Arkansas. It's a game they lost, by the way. And Mike Leach walks out on the field. And everybody that was there had a cowbell, and they were all doing their thing. And I was just like, holy crap, man, you know, college football's back in a season yeah. where we didn't think it was going to be played. That gave me chills. I got chills talking about that right now. So just those kinds of things, they're what, make college, they, it's what makes college football so unique and, and different than the NFL and, and, and everywhere else because, you know, the fans care about it so much, and there's those kinds of intangibles involved with it. I think it's spectacular. And what was that like then when – the early days of when I say the early days, I'm talking just about the pandemic, just, you know, as it was so much fluctuation in terms of one day you're hearing this, the next day you're hearing that. And especially from your perspective with your job, I mean, it's being at games, calling games and are there games going to be played? How much were you concerned during that time? On August 11th of 2020, I was hosting a show on Sirius XM on ESPNU, their channel 84. I think it was me and Aaron Murray. And we, we got word during one of our breaks, hey, all right, coming up here in about 15 minutes, you're going to do a live toss to Kevin Warren's press conference with the Big Ten. He's going to announce that they're not playing football this year. And I remember sitting there uh, it, just kind of in my, my home studio thinking, oh, we just lost the season. What are we going to do? Are there going to be games to call? What's going to happen with work? And and sure enough, we came back on air. We we tossed with Kevin Warren, Big Ten commissioner, and, and that's exactly what he said. And, and we spent the next hour just trying on air, reacting in real time. It, it was a roller coaster. I mean, in, in our business, when your your full time job is calling games and thinking you may not have games to call for a year or longer, it, it, you know you you start to sweat a little bit. So that happened on air, and we reacted to it in real time. It, it wasn't fun. I mean, and look, that's. You know, for a lot of other people, the pandemic's been a lot worse. I get that. Of course. And, and I have plenty of empathy for everybody mm -hmm. that have lost loved ones, that have dealt with sickness, um, you know, those kinds of things. It's it's terrible. But uh, it, it, it was rough. And, you know, we found out a few days later that the SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC were saying, no, not so fast. And I remember just the, the Tiger Woods fist pump <laughs> in my studio hearing that that news because, all right, that, that means I'm going to have something to call. It may not be as many games. Rich, but uh, we're, we're going to be working in some capacity. Unfortunately, we got a season in. How different was it then in terms of 
or I, I guess let me back that up. How many games did you have to call remote versus actually in person? I did. Let's see. That's a good question. I, I called about 80 games last year, and I think I was on the road for maybe four football games and four basketball games. Wow. So uh, all but 10% uh, were done from the home studio. Um, so we, we didn't get to travel very much. And it, it was different. I mean, when you first start doing it, it's like you're, you're calling games on Mars and, and just to try to figure out a way to trick yourself. And what do you mean? Well, I mean, just to have the same level of energy to figure out when it's okay to talk when your partner is probably, you know, a thousand miles away from you and, and the game is a thousand miles away from that. And, and there's, you know, a, a little delay in, in kind of everything that happens just because of the technology. So it, it was different and it, it took a long time. Uh, to be able to figure out how to do it. Once you do it, you kind of settle in and you get a routine down, and that's helpful. But it was it it was it was definitely. Different. Did you have to prepare different? Uh, no, not really. Just um, you know, you you have your game boards. You you do all the meetings via Zoom. That's a little weird. Uh, but I mean, as far as the prep work, you, you you're still kind of doing the same the same deal and getting ready for a game. You're just not meeting people face to face, and you're not you know sitting right next to your partner. You know, looking at him saying, all right, are you going to talk now or am I going to talk now? That kind of thing. So it was, like I said, it was different. There. Yeah, and I think that is part of you know, my question just in terms of, because now I know there's an aspect you typically might have an opportunity to talk with the head coach or some of the coaches, you know, pregame, you're in person, you get a little bit better, you know, conversation yeah. versus the Zoom. You know, can you get the same type of details or, you know, content that you need? for the game itself? We got what we needed. And a lot of people asked me that question early in the pandemic last fall, you know, is, is it the same? And for the most part, I would say, you know, we, we're getting what we need. I don't notice a big difference, but as, as everything kind of wore along into basketball and baseball, you could tell. I mean, everybody was kind of getting tired of doing the Zooms and, and you would get a little <laughs> bit less and you'd have to fight for more intel. Nothing beats face-to-face. -face. Nothing beats going there to practice and seeing everything in person and talking with everybody in person. You know from hosting podcasts, it's better to do it like oh, this. Oh, it is. Than it's over phone day. or Zoom or, you know, face-to-face. -face, you're going to glean more. You're going to get more. Yeah, that's why I harassed you and said, no, you got to come in the studio. <laughs> get a twist my arm, yeah. Yes. Have there been times where you've shown up to games knowing deep down, I'm not as prepared. I'm not as ready as I should be for oh, this game. wow. Uh, you know, I, I no, I wouldn't say that. I think there's some games just – Naturally, I'm better prepared for. I, I've never walked into a game being like, uh "Oh, I, I don't, you know, I'm not ready to go." Um, that, I, truthfully, that's never happened. You know, there are bigger games that I've been assigned where, yeah, you know what? I, I've probably covered every base a little heavier. Um, I've dotted the eyes across the T's a little bit more here. I've talked to more people just because, you know, it, it's it's just got that vibe to it. I, I think every broadcaster, you know, they've experienced that on some level. Um, you know, a, a smaller game, have there been times where maybe that that level of detail isn't there? Uh, you know, I'd like to say no, and for the most part, the answer, you know, would be no, but there may be a game or two where, you know, if I had a back-to-back -back situation uh, where I'm at Arkansas doing basketball game one night and the next night at Florida, and I'm flying in the same day, and you're, you're just like, oh, your head's kind of spinning, you don't know where you're waking up because you've been traveling so much. Yeah, yeah, I'll lean on my analysts a little bit more. For a game like that but for the most part man I, I take a lot of pride in the prep work and uh you know anybody that's worked with me i think would tell you that and and if you don't 
you aren't doing that, you're going to get exposed and, and you're not, you know, you're not going to reach where you want to go. I, and I agree 100%. And I, I probably should have, you know, asked that question with a caveat. This is not to try to, you know, pinpoint, you know, and showcase ASPN. You know, Roy wasn't prepared for yeah, this game, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. not at all. It's just more of that. Hey, sometimes life gets in the way. It does. And you're talking about the travel and just, you know, all of that. Calling 80 games, you know, even last year. I mean, that's a lot of games yeah. that you have to do. What's the most you've called in a year? That's the most I've done. That's right. the most I've done in, in in a single season. And like I said, the majority of those were from home. That and was made that a, part of it because you could just call it from home and didn't have to travel that you had so many games? I, You know, probably that didn't hurt. Um, but, I mean, it, it's hard. You can't really explain why you get the games you do or the number of games. Um, it's it's kind of all up to to our bosses. So, you know, to, to try to figure that out and – say, well, you did this game because of this, or you got this number of games because of that. It just, it doesn't work like that. You just, I'm grateful for the work you're going to give me. Um, you know, I, I tell everybody I'll, I'll do whatever game you want me to do, any channel, anytime, any sport, I'm ready to go. The answer is always yes. And growing up, were you, did you play sports? Yeah, I, um, I played uh, in high school. I played, you know, soccer, uh, played football. I was a place kicker and then played, played, basketball up until JV and then we had a really good basketball team so I didn't want to sit the, sit the bench uh, for two years but yeah I grew up playing sports and you know that's where that's where the passion for it comes because you know I, before a game I would get that adrenaline rush and uh, the only time I've been able to match that is is right before calling games I get the same it's the same feeling and you know those that know me really well know that I'm an, I'm a, an adrenaline junkie and and so I thrive off that that vibe, and uh, it's it's the same as when I used to play. And I, I love playing sports, but yeah, I was never good enough. I was never big enough, tall enough, fast enough, whatever. Uh, so it it just kind of morphed into to calling games. Yeah, well, God touched you though with a great voice. Though, I appreciate so you yeah. got that. Yeah, and a great I beard as I mentioned. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> keep keep the compliments coming. That's fantastic. I I need uh, as many as I can get. And I were there times though growing up that you had any inclination that sports would be something that you would and you know nothing at all nothing that you even thought about that all right someday maybe sports I mean like I honestly thought in high school I was a decent soccer player um I I thought that you know I would end up playing college soccer somewhere but in terms of like being in the media or being a broadcaster no I mean that that certainly never to me and and I, I realized probably by my junior year in high school you, you, you're not playing any kind of college sports <laughs> um I you know I do remember a, a lot of people would meet me and say hey you got you have a voice you have a great voice for radio and and that had occurred to me that maybe you know I could be in radio on some level never I didn't connect the dots with sports and certainly I don't think sports talk radio was popular in the late 80s early 90s at least not like it is now so not yeah agree I, I didn't connect those dots so no I mean yeah like I said it took me a long time to figure it out you know, what I wanted to do. You mentioned adrenaline junkie. Yeah. I Explain am. that. I mean, I, I, you know, there's something about like, uh, and, and I'll see the grass for the first time and, 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 you know, you'll smell the, the, the freshly cut field and, you know, you'll see the players in pregame warmups and the pregame music, you'll see the coaches and you'll talk to them there in person. And, uh, you'll hear the bands and even the cheerleaders back on the sidelines and those kinds of things. That, you know, gets me, gets my juices going. So just, you know, hear my producer, my headset, count me down, five, four, three, going to live open. That is a natural high. 
you know, like uh, that, that, that gets me going each and every time. And that, that has never dulled a second that I've been in broadcasting. So when that red light comes on. Yeah, man. That, that, that's it. Level at I'm, the highest. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it would be like playing our rival high school in soccer, football back in the day. I mean, times, you know, a hundred because it's, you know, obviously a bigger audience and, and more important uh, with what we're doing you know, right now. So yeah, it's, it's cool. It's special. Now, outside of sports, though, do you try to feed that <laughs> adrenaline junkie side by Work doing in progress. other things yeah, like I skydiving, no. <laughs> bungee jumping? <laughs> I'm terrified of heights. I do like to hike. And uh, this summer, I, I took uh, my daughters out to uh, Zion National Park in Utah and, and hiked some areas that were um, you know, pretty, pretty scary out near Angel's Landing. We didn't go on Angel's Landing, but we, you know, we were right up to it. I like to do that. Um, I certainly participate in those kinds of things and, and trying to figure out, you know, kind of what else provides that same thing. But, but calling games is it, you know, it's that, that does it for me better than just about anything. What, what do your daughters think of dad as Roy Philpot on TV calling games? <laughs> My oldest, Anna Catherine, um, she wants to do this. She has said that. I, I don't know that that's what she'll do. Um, but I certainly think that those opportunities will be there for her if she wants to. I, I try to discourage her a little bit because it's a rough profession. It's very competitive. Uh, it's very harsh on social media, um, you know, and, and you, have to, you have to learn how to deal with those kinds of things. My youngest daughter kind of rolls her eyes at me a lot of times, <laughs> Piper, um, because, you know, she, she thinks I'm full of myself, which, you know, I, I really am. So uh, it, it's, it's two different extremes, but it, it does keep me grounded. Both of them in their own ways keep me keep me grounded and I, I think they take pride in it which is which is cool as a yeah dad. they probably don't tell you that right but they you know behind the scenes yeah. are i would imagine very proud of yeah uh, seeing dad i hope so on TV. i hope there's a little bit of pride there how many times though when you're making this transition did you hear people say boy what the hell are you doing <laughs> you are crazy the, the, the biggest one is when I left corporate America. Yes, that's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I, I talked to my parents and, uh, and, and you know what? They were as supportive as they probably could be. But, you know, I didn't have a family at the time. I didn't have a mortgage at the time. I didn't have debt at the time. You know, there was, there was nothing there. Like, that was the time to do it. And, and that's how I framed it. And, um, you know, I, I, there were some people that I knew that, that were questioning me and doubted me. And, and I, I would love to sit there and tell you that's what fueled the fire. It wasn't my passion for what I do and what I was doing then was what fueled it. So, you know, they, they were as supportive as, as you could be in that situation. Uh, I, I would tell you, but yeah, there were people saying, you know, dude, you graduated in computer engineering. You, you can't really be a writer and then a, a, a sports talk guy and covering Clint. What, what are you doing? Um, uh, and then at like four or five years into it, like, yeah, this, this worked out well for it. I'm like, yeah, I, I think so. You know, and I, I didn't think it was going to take me to broadcasting at the time. I just thought I'd be a website geek and a writer, <laughs> um, for a long period of time. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a different, it's a different way to do, you know, kind of end up where I am right now. What did fuel you growing up though, in terms of what motivated you? Was it people telling you that you couldn't do something or? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm definitely chippy. I, I use that. I, I, I like being the underdog. You know, I, I take a lot of pride in the fact that, you know, I graduated from Clemson. I didn't go to Syracuse. I didn't go to Missouri. I didn't go to Northwestern. I didn't graduate, you know, in journalism or communications. You know, I, I kind of did it my, my own way. And, uh, 
So that that's that's something that motivates me. All right, these guys from Syracuse, yeah, they they sound good. I'm good friends with a lot of them. I, I give them a hard time just like they would give me a hard time. <laughs> um, so you know they get it and I get it, but that that motivates me. Um, you know to for people to you know anywhere along the way to say you know man, he can't work for ESPN or. You know, he, he's going to be stuck doing games out west or he's going to be doing, you know, Sunbelt games. I Look, I still do them. I still do some of those. And those are fun. I'll do some this year and they're great. But, uh, you know, they're still for ESPN. And so um, I, I do better personally, Rich, as an underdog, like in looking at myself that way. You know, I'm not the tallest. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have the, the degree in journalism or communications, like I said, or broadcasting. Uh, and I, I love to keep that perspective. And that kind of keeps the, the the fire burning inside to be better, do better, and to keep it rolling. Yeah, and that's a powerful combination when you have that type of fire. And then also the fire because you're so passionate about yeah. enjoying what you do. And I, I think that's what can carry a lot of people to success and where they want to you know, strive to get to more so than trying to prove people wrong or prove people right. It's At the end of the day, you've got to have the passion of what you're wanting to do. And it took me a long time as well, especially when I left coaching and got into medical device sales, I I was doing a lot of rationalization. Like, okay, you know, I I can have an opportunity to make more money in medical device sales than coaching, uh, but I can view it as I'm just recruiting I'm just recruiting these surgeons to use these certain type <laughs> like of medical devices. Exactly. Yes. But at the end of the day, it was just a trick, Roy. Yeah. It wasn't what I was passionate about. And it was sports. It was, you know, getting back to the root of what really shaped me throughout my life, not knowing my biological father and, you know, having a challenging upbringing. It was sports that was kind of the safe haven for me and just getting back to that. Uh, it has really allowed me to focus on just things that I'm passionate about. And so, again, hearing, you know, how you've been passionate about it, and that's what led you to, you know, where you are. I mean, that means a lot. And hopefully other people, like your daughters, can understand that because they can see you not only talking it, but living it out. Yeah. And I think that's important. Yeah, it is. And, I mean, you know, I've talked to them uh, about that. You know, I, I don't feel like I actually go to work. You know, I mean, it's, it doesn't, it's never felt like work, even the, the grind of the prep work, grind of travel. And it, it's not glamorous when you travel. I mean, you, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't get first class tickets. <laughs> I'm riding the back for the most part. Hopefully I get upgraded on occasion. You know, we, we, we don't stay at the four seasons. And I mean, there's a lot of back-to-back nights where, you know, you're up at, at four o'clock, having gone to sleep at midnight, traveling to another city getting ready to call another game so um it, it's not as glamorous as you think but even then like i, I enjoy all of that and i, I embrace that it, it doesn't feel like work and if you can do a job where it doesn't feel like you're going to a job doesn't feel like you're working and you can provide for yourself and for your family i mean I, I i don't know how much more successful you can be than if you have something like that does it matter to you if you're calling games radio versus tv um it does. I mean, it matters in your approach. In radio, it's more about the play-by-play guy. Yeah, what do you enjoy more, though? Um, you know, that's a good question. I, radio is fun. It's, it's less stressful because there's not all this pre-production that goes in. You just get in there, you call the game. You know, I don't do a ton of games on radio. I think the last one I did was maybe the 2019 uh, Alamo Bowl out in San Antonio. But you just do it, and it's just 
it goes by in a flash. It it's always a little more fun to do that, but you know, there's not as many people watching or listening. Um, it you, just seems more challenging to me to do radio. To do radio, especially play by play by play. Let me get the English language down here. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's not. It's I mean TV. You just have so many moving parts. You know, there's times in television where I'm talking, my producer's talking to me as I'm talking, my analyst is pointing to me, letting me know he wants to talk as soon as I'm done talking. <laughs> my spotter is over my shoulder pointing to who made the tackle, and my statistician is giving me a number to read on air. So literally at one time, I can have four or five people all communicating with me in some capacity while I myself am communicating. This is all happening on national television. And you're, you're keeping your fingers crossed that all the technology is working correctly, too, because inevitably in many shows in live event broadcasting, something's going to go wrong. That's a lot. I it mean, that's a that, lot. That's a lot to balance. In radio, I got nobody talking in my ears. It's just me watching the game and calling the game as I see it. So to me, you know, that that that's simpler. That's that's easier in, in TV. I mean, we've dealt with situations where we've worked all week on a two minute open um, at BYU. And we're going to get the live toss, you know, after Sports Center or whatever, you know, like 10, 15, 10, 30 Eastern. And then all of a sudden, 90 seconds before we go on air, that 90 second or two minute open has been turned into five minutes. And we're doing it all on the fly with a, a lot of things changing. And then, oh, by the way, all of our equipment went down. Our monitors <laughs> went down in the booth right as we were coming on air. So, I mean, that, you, that, that, checks, that checks you in a major way. Are you talking about adrenaline? <laughs> yes. yes. Right? <laughs> yes. Uh, we had a situation this past year calling a game from home. It was actually the Cure Bowl, Coastal Carolina and Liberty, which, you know, was was probably the one game I did where we had the most people watch. It was like three and a half million people watch it. My internet at my house went down five minutes before we were set to go on air. All right. And so it, it, I had trouble with my internet maybe in the first two or three games I did. Then we figured out what the issue was. And then it was fine all season until the biggest game I had. Five minutes before we go on air, internet goes down. And I'm like, all right, I, I, I tell Bristol, I'm like, it'll be back up in four and a half minutes. You're just going to have to trust me on this. They're like, okay. Sports Center had to keep it an extra 60 seconds before they could toss it to us because of that. And literally, my producer starts counting me down on my cell phone because my internet hadn't popped up. And then it finally caught five seconds into his countdown of a 10 second deal. And so, I mean, I'm sitting, you're just balancing so much and knowing if the internet didn't pop up exactly when you just said it was, this is going to be a colossal fail. So th those kinds of things happen <laughs> behind the scenes. And, and look, you got to come on air like nothing has exactly. happened. That right? you're calm, cool, and collected. Yeah. So, I mean, I tell young play-by-play -play guys all the time, a big part of your job is when something messes up, you got to keep your wits about you and you have to, to put on uh, a, a smiley face and a loud voice, a, a, you know, a strong voice that nothing at all is, is wrong. And uh, yeah, if you can do that, you can do a lot more than most people. Now, how in the hell did you know four and a half minutes it was going to come back up? <laughs> so my, just long story short, my router would break um, when, when we were connected a, a certain way for too long of a period of time, and we were connected for six hours. And so when it happened, I'm like, four and a half minutes, we're, we're going to be okay. And they, and we, you know, it was, we rolled the dice a little bit with yes, that. Yes, you did. <laughs> we did, but uh it, it worked out, thankfully. Gosh. Now, again, that just adds just a whole nother level of stress. And yeah, isn't it just crazy <laughs> how that happens? This is the biggest game, and then there's some technology gremlin that just pops up. I mean, it's just uncanny. 
Yeah. How that happens. It, it's happened. I mean, any broadcaster would But you have to be ready for it. Hey. I mean, you, you got to roll with it. Yeah, you, you can't freak out. And look, I, I've worked in games where we've had, uh, you know, more significant issues than that. And, uh, and you know, with my crew the rest of the game, I could tell I just kind of lost them. Like, you could never really get them back because for some people, producers, analysts, play-by-play people, um, it can be traumatic because you know, hey, that really just messed up. You can't treat it that way. You just have to move on. It's like a cornerback giving up a big touchdown pass. Uh, next play. Oh, amnesia. Yeah. That's yeah. right. I mean, you have, you have to do that. And I've seen people handle it well, and I've seen people where it just crushes their soul. And, you know, still, I'm working with you. I, I got I got to find a way to, to move past it. Do you mm-hmm. practice in terms of being prepared, especially telling the story at the end of the game and say like on TV, something magical happens and being able to balance, allowing it to breathe in terms of you know what people are seeing, but also making sure that you are being able to share part of the story itself of the moment. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like scripting end of game scenarios, no, I, I I've never done that. I, the one thing I will script and I, I do recommend this to, to younger broadcasters, just broadcasters in general, if you're not comfortable with it, if we're talking about something serious like death uh, or, you know, disease or, or you know, something along those lines, um, a lot of times I, I will have written out, you know, just a, a blueprint of what I want to say. If we're coming in like with a live open with something like that, um, we did a, a Georgia football game two years ago where uh, Blake Anderson had just lost his wife, the head coach at Arkansas State. He just lost his wife, uh, Wendy, to cancer that summer. I remember that. And we spent um, a, a very emotional couple of days talking with him. Uh, we spent a couple of days, you know, figuring out what's the right way to approach this. You know, do we do it in the open? Do we come in, you know, after our first commercial break? How, how do we do this? And we, we literally jumped right in with both feet in the open. And it was something I scripted. That's a rare time. Well, I'll, I'll do something like that. Um, everything else pretty much is off the cuff. And, you know, I, I, I think when you're able to do it more off the cuff, it, it shows and demonstrates growth as a broadcaster because you just trust yourself. I've heard other other people higher up the food chain than me at different networks mention that before, and I, I agree with it. But when it comes to death, I, I'm not I'm not afraid to script it. End of games, it's just how in I in the feel. moment. It's in the moment. Like I, I I like to think my passion and energy comes through, and uh, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the call and then I'm gonna shut up and, and I'll let the picture in TV, you know, do the bulk of the talking. How much do you miss actually being on the radio each day and being able to? share more of like your opinion and talk about topics. I miss it. Yeah, I do. I didn't think I would miss it the way um, that I do. And because as a play-by-play person, and I, I've mentioned this to, to other play-by-play people at ESPN and other networks, I was like, you know, I, I think it's important for us not to become robotic and just, you know, call the play, set up the analyst, do your thing. I like to interject opinions and it, it comes from my sports talk background. I have opinions yeah, you were a first-round draft pick as a quarterback out of UCLA or Colorado State or whoever it is I'm working with. I respect your opinion. You know, I've also covered football for a long period of time. Now, you've forgotten more football than I know, but you know, I also have a different perspective. Um, and, and so I'll put it out there. I'll, I'll put out you know, th- those takes when I'm given the opportunity. And I've told other play-by-play people, don't be afraid to do it. I, I don't know that that's what our company 
you know, endorses necessarily because they're paying the big bucks for the analysts to give their technical opinion, their entertaining opinion at times. But that's that's who I am. And, you know, as broadcasters, you got to be authentic. You have to be who you are. If you're not, it comes across. Well, that's who I am because that's my background in media. So if you listen closely, I'll work in an edge, a jab, an antidote, you know, something along those lines. And, you know, the more I call games, the more comfortable I am in doing that. So, yeah, it's important not to become a play-by-play robot. I, I, don't think, I don't think that's what we're here to do. There's a time when you need to tone it down, of course. But there's also a time where, you know, it's okay to, to kind of let loose a little bit. And I like that as a listener and a viewer. I like not necessarily having to hear just the robotic play-by-play. Again, I, I can see some of the action. I know what's going on, but I love when there's a little bit of banter uh, between the analyst and the play-by-play, either agreeing on something or just talking about a topic and you might have a different viewpoint from each side. But I, I think that adds to what you just talked about, the authenticity of the broadcast and the the two people that are calling the games. I, or even there's a sideline reporter involved mm-hmm. as well. I, I like the banter that sometimes happens like that. And I think broadcasting has changed a little bit in the last decade along those lines. I I think that there's more value in entertainment. There's more value in information and storytelling as opposed to just down distance, those sorts of things. Uh, I I certainly think at ESPN that they prioritize that a little bit more than they did. There's a fine line to walk with it, but I mean, look, everybody's got a shorter attention span right now because of social media. So Anything you can do to maintain attention and, uh, you know, on the game that you're calling uh, to a certain extent, again, you don't want to overcook the ham too much, but anything you can do along those lines to me is not a bad thing. And it provides a little bit more. I I agree 100%. And now also just with the advancement of technology in terms of HD, TV, 4K, all the graphics that these platforms are utilizing. I mean, you can see down in distance, you can see, you know, all of the things that, Years ago, I mean, it was hard to see sometimes when you right. look back well, here's you know, in, the, in the 80s. I mean, this, it was. This is what people do right now when they're watching games. Yes, that's they, right. They, 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 look they have their, their phone, phone up. What's happening? They're checking Twitter yes. and they're listening to you. And like to me, that that's something to consider when somebody, you know, is watching you. All right. And watching your game. Yeah, they're probably looking at their phone, texting somebody, tweeting something, doing something on Insta, whatever it is, TikTok. And uh, so, you know, to, to grab their attention for any kind of time period is, is uh, it's not easy to do. And sports talk radio, as you talked about earlier, has evolved as well, where, I mean, that is something that has grown exponentially. Why do you think it's such a big part of sports now? That's an interesting question. I, I mean, because the fans are there and they're so passionate and I, I, this was one of the things I remember and why I jumped into sports media. I remember in 2001, 2002 in, in Clemson under Tommy Bowden, it felt like that they were improving and ready to take the next step. And, and so I would go online every single day and I want to read every article. What is happening? I want to read the practice reports. Like I couldn't get enough information. And I think with sports talk radio, you know, fans are like that. Like they, they want any kind of opinion, any kind of interview, you know, especially in the deep south when it comes to college football. I mean, people just care about it a little bit more down here. That's just it's just how it is. In the Northeast with the Red Sox and the Yankees. I mean, it, it's different in different parts of the country. And I just think there's a demand for it because you you just can't you can't get enough because it's you know what? It's your 
It's your getaway from real life at times. It's your getaway from the real world problems that we all deal with. You just go into your sports self and, you know, okay, what are we going to do now in short yardage situations? We lost our dual threat quarterback. Well, I'm going to listen to Paul Feinbaum or I'm going to listen to Packer and Durham and see what they're saying about Syracuse or Clemson or Ole Miss or LSU. It, it, there's just a demand for it. And, and for the, the broadcasters that can find their niche, that can be you know polarizing but not idiotic, that can create you know those kinds of conversations, uh, yeah, it, it, it's out there. People want to hear it. You may not like it, but you still want to listen to it. What are they going to say next? So it's, it's like a perfect convergence of the world that we live in, the demand for sports, the social media that just kind of festers all of it and makes rivalries that much greater because fans are just chirping at each other all the time on, on Twitter and everywhere else. Um, and, and then, you know, it just all kind of comes out there in, in sports talking on Twitter. And as human beings, we love our opinions. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, my opinion's right. Yours is wrong. Here's why. And by the way, you're never going to be right again. And I'm always going to be correct. And you have to deal with that. That's right. And obviously, if you can hear somebody having the same thoughts and opinions as you, my best it's friend. even better, right? Oh, my gosh. Exactly. Where, where have you been my entire life? Thank you. Thankfully, you're on the right side of this, this argument. Yeah. The tattoo on your arm. It means nothing. <laughs> it means nothing. I just wanted to You can't to say one. nothing. You it, got to give me a story. Honestly, all right, here's the story. You can Google search minimalist tattoo, and it, it, I'm sure it pops up like among the, the, top, uh, the top 10 or 15 out there. I just, it was three years ago. I was getting ready to go do a game um, out at the Rose Bowl, uh, UCLA in Arizona, and uh, we, we were just sitting around one day, and I was like, yeah, you know, I, 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 I've never never thought about getting a tattoo before. Like I, I want to do it right now. And, uh, so it was I, literally the spur of the moment, like spur that. of the moment, spur of the moment. And, uh, and, and went out. And, and where'd you go? You just looked up went, tattoo parlor. Yeah. Went somewhere. I, I was off of uh highway One Fifty Three in Powersville and just went there and, and, and got it done. And I honestly, I love it. And I get that question all the time. And I answer it the same way. This, it looks like crop circles or something. It does. It means absolutely nothing. I, I just <laughs> like it. I still like it. You know, well, that might actually be a better story. Maybe, maybe than, so. Maybe so. <laughs> that there's some special meaning to it. Yeah, it's like I told you, my my life is kind of weird like that. The way things work <laughs> out, but no, I mean, I I like it. People ask about it, and I'm like, yeah, doesn't mean jack. Now, did you think about getting it somewhere else, or was no. it, you were just like, no, I'm going it right here on no, forearm. No, I, I wanted it on the forearm. Uh, n- no other place really sounded sounded good. So, uh, and you know, it's it's noticeable, but. Not, doesn't but it's not too in your face. Yeah, yeah. it's not too in your face. It's not, it's not a sleeve. It's a minimalist right? tattoo. <laughs> minimalist tattoo. All right, so we got to make sure we look that up. And we at least we got to put a picture up for the, the people that can't see uh, the video. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it. I do too, sir. <laughs> Thank yes. you. I appreciate it. <laughs> in terms of you've given uh, you know advice and talked about your career and how things have been, has there been any type of words of wisdom that you've leaned on over the years, and that could just be even phrases, mottos, quotes, or just life advice that you might have received at some point uh, or came across that you know that has helped you. Well, I mean, as a broadcaster, I, I tell people all the time, you know, I, I've never said no. Like, if somebody, we need you to do this game, even when I wasn't getting paid to do games. You know, the first game I ever really called was a volleyball match over uh, at Clemson. And I had never called volleyball before. I don't, I don't know that I called hardly anything before. And I, I, maybe I got paid on ACC Select back in the day to do that. It wasn't very much, but the answer was yes. I mean, it's 
you know, I approach every game with enthusiasm, high energy, passion about what I do. And, you know, I'm going to be prepared as well as, as anybody. So, I mean, th- those kind of go hand in hand. But as broadcasters, you can only get better actually broadcasting. You, you can't get better sitting in your basement pretending like you're calling a game. It just doesn't work like that. So I, I always use the reps. I tell people, you know, get as many reps as you can. I don't care what sport it is. I don't care what you're making money-wise. Maybe you're having to pay your own way to do it. So what? That's the only way you can really get better. So just on, on that side of it, um, I, I would say, you know, that, that those are things I've leaned on. Um, you know, more uh, philosophically, if that's even a word, um, Dabo has some great things. And I, I've oh, mentioned this before. Masterful at it. I mean, I, I learned so much from him uh, just being on the Clemson beat for a number of years. And, and yeah, you know, you, we would go in as objective reporters. We had to report things that, that, that weren't always great. I mean, I, I gotten phone calls from him before. Hey, uh, what you write, what you wrote is not right. You know, ooh, um, that that's happened. But just being around him, if you pay attention to him, he really is, I think, one of the smartest people on the planet. It, there's no coincidence that he's had the success that he's had. People look at him, they hear the accent. He's from Alabama, from Pelham. He's a small town guy. Um, and they think, well, he's just not that, that smart. No, no, no. Nothing could be further from the truth. Um, so if you listen to what he says, which is what I started to do really in 2008 when he became the full-time head coach, you can learn a lot that you can apply in your own life. And, you know, he has a couple of good phrases. The one that really stands out, bloom where you're planted. You know, everybody's always chasing the, the better job. Uh, in, in our situation as broadcasters, the bigger game, the better network, the more high-profile analysts, whatever it is. But really none of that matters if you're not great where you are. So, you know, for, for broadcasters or in any profession, you have to be elite where you are to gain the kind of notoriety that you need to be able to advance. But you don't even look at it like that. You just have to focus on where you are and just being great in that moment, in that day, in that game, and then work on getting better from there. So it's not looking ahead towards the next head coaching job or the next broadcasting position. It's just about, it's just about being, you know, great and, uh, you know, being different where you are. And so I, I remember when he said that for the first time, that really resonated with me. Um, and then, you know, I've mentioned this before too, Rich, is that, uh, you know, his opening press conference when he was named the full, full-time head coach December 1st, 2008, and he gets up there and he's emotional and, and his kids are there and Kathleen Sweeney, his wife is there. And he's just like, you know, dreams do come true. And, and he said that, and you could feel the passion in his voice and, and you could see it as he teared up looking at his family. And he was like, I'm a perfect example of it. And, and the second he said that, I just sat there mesmerized in a press conference, and I'm working there as a reporter, and it, it occurred to me, you know, you're not really supposed to be a writer. And you're not really supposed to run a website the rest of your life. You, you know, you, you're supposed to be calling games. You're supposed to be doing something a little different because that that's that's in your DNA. And uh, and so I just sat there and I watched him for that hour or so as, as, as he waxed poetic about life and football and Clemson. And on the drive home, you know, I, I pulled over on the side of the road and I sent him a text. I was just like, hey, man, I, you know, this may be kind of out of sorts to send you a text like this right now. But everything you said tonight really meant something to me and it meant something in my life. And so I want to thank you for that because it provides me motivation to, to go and try to do what I want to do. 
and you know, in typical Dabo fashion, he responded about an hour or so later. This is the day that he had the press conference, which that meant a lot that he did that and that he took the time to do it. And so that sent me on a different trajectory. So I, I would say, you know, find that kind of person in your life. And it's not, it doesn't have to be somebody you know, but somebody that provides that spark for you. He, he did that for me. And, and I've told him a little bit about that in the past. And he's helped me along the way in different respects as a broadcaster. Um, but, but I gleaned just so much from him being on the Clemson beat and seeing how he went about his business and the amount of detail that he had for every situation as a head football coach. It's amazing. It's amazing. And that's, that's one of the reasons he's so successful. He's high energy. He's high enthusiasm. And he's highly prepared, highly detailed. He has a manual for anything that happens over there. Nothing catches him by surprise. And, you know, I, I've used that in my life as well. And he's so intentional about everything. He's amazing. He's amazing. I, literally, I, he's the smartest guy in the room everywhere he goes. Whether you believe it or not, doesn't matter. I know it. I've seen it. I, I've watched him break down film. I've listened to him talk about his vision. I mean, you, you work over there, and it is different. And really, all of that comes down to, to him. So, you know, I, I look at Dabo. Uh, I take a lot from Jim Valvano, the late Jimmy V. And it, the Survive in Advance was released right when I started working at ESPN on a part-time basis. And just when you hear Jimmy V just launch into one of those speeches and, and not even the one where, you know, he he's literally passing away right before our very eyes in that final speech of the ESPYs, God rest your soul, Jimmy V. Um, but the ones where, you know, after, right after state won an NCAA championship and he's on the, the, the lecture circuit, the speaking circuit. And there's this one and I, I show it to, to my kids all the time where, you know, he's like every single day in every walk of life, ordinary people do extraordinary things and you can hear yes. the passion in it. And uh, I, before the start of most seasons, I, I will go back and watch that one minute and 50 second clip that you can find on YouTube. And I'm just like, yeah, that's it, man. That, that is it right there. Like this guy had the secret sauce. Dabo you know, has the secret sauce. Bobby Bowden, the late Bobby Bowden now, had the secret sauce. And you just pay attention to what they did and what they say. You know, even right now, um, uh, you, know, you, you can learn a lot and apply it in your own life. Well, that's another thing we have in common in terms of how Dabo kind of gave us a little bit of a push when Clemson wins the national championship in 2016. We're celebrating as a family, going crazy, and I'm emotional and, and also yelling, I'm starting a podcast. I'm starting a podcast. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Yes, I'm going to do it because anything is possible. It just showed me that anything is possible. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that, I mean – is coming from Dabo and just the culture that he built and showing that you didn't have to focus on the wins and losses. If you focus on building the foundation and the processes to build that foundation, the wins will just be a byproduct yeah. uh, and the success. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, he, he, he's living proof of that uh, for sure. But um, you know, there, there, there's a lot to be learned from coaches like that. Yes. If you pay attention, and, and there were some other guys on the beat, we've had those conversations at times, and they're like, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. You know, I, I learned a little bit listening to him in that press conference. And uh, yeah, it, it, if you haven't started, you, you can do it this year, and I, I guarantee you'll learn something new just, just as I will along the way. Agreed 100%. Roy, thank you so much, man. Yeah, man. I happy greatly to appreciate it. it. It's it, been a blast. Yeah, I appreciate the invitation, and congrats on your success. It's not easy to have this great studio and to put together a great podcast and to get guests on people to 
People just think it's easy to do. It's not. It's not. No, it's not. But it, and it's hard. I finally got you, the guy with the best <laughs> beard out there in broadcasting. <laughs> hey, I, I will take that. I appreciate it. And uh, happy to do this anytime, Rich. It's hard for us to slow down at times and just focus on what's right in front of us. But Roy is definitive proof that dreams do come true and that when you can focus on being the best that you can be where you are at that moment, then you'll have a much better chance of reaching those dreams. Now that finishes episode 157. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening. 